here, Gabe. Hello. Hello. Gabe and I usually start with some light banter. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed. Uh, it's good to be back in the studio, Stephen. <laughs> it's good to be here today. We'll talk about the British invasion. Into pop culture, you mean? <laughs> A little bit. This is going well. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Our accents are not very good. No, they're not. So, here we are. Here we are again. <laughs> we're back again. Steven, what are we doing today? Today, we're going to do something very special. So special, in fact, that we're using a different color because it's in a category of its own. Nice. It's a teal, I think, or whatever color that is. But, yeah, today we're going to do a little thing that came out on Disney Plus at the end of November last year called The Beatles Get Back. Get Back. The Beatles, and ask me who we have with us today. And who do we have with us today, Steve? We have the person who birthed me into existence. <laughs> my mother, Karen Burnett. Awesome. Hello. <laughs> and that'll officially be, I think, most of my family, apart from my dad that has made it on the cast. But <laughs> I've been wanting to bring my mom on for a while because she is hip with it. <laughs> nice. More so than... More so than me. More so than some people. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, for for this particular podcast, she was around and cognizant when the Beatles were in their heyday. So I thought it'd be perfect. <laughs> I never thought we'd be doing a podcast about the Beatles because why would I? It's you know, their, yeah, their <laughs> albums came out back in the 60s. And if it wasn't for this really special thing that this kind of a documentary, I guess, then... Uh, we wouldn't be talking about it, but here we are. Pretty cool. I feel like uh, part of the reason I love film and music is because of my mom and my dad, but my mom specifically, I remember her playing oldies a lot mm-hmm. in the car. Oh, yeah. Oldies being before 75, I guess. I don't know. Yep. And I'm curious, mom, you were 10 ish yes. when. They played on the Ed Sullivan show? I had just turned 10, yeah. Was it 1963? I can't remember. I think it's 64 when they came on Ed Sullivan. Oh, 64? Yes, February 1964. I had just turned 10, yeah. Were they big then? They were just getting their start in 64. Hmm. But the Ed Sullivan show was, I think, for Americans, was the thing that people remember the most. Mm -hmm. What was the Ed Sullivan show? (laughs) It was a variety show. Okay. He had all kinds of talent. He had astronauts. He had, you know, everyone on there. Uh-huh. Comedians, musicians, yeah. Did you watch it all the time? Like yeah, frequently? it was a regular, oh yes, Ed Sullivan, yes. And then th- just one time when you were watching it, the Beatles came on? or Well, that... no, there was, that, there was all the hubbub about this group over in England that was coming that was very, very popular already in England. Mm. They were making their debut in the United States, and that was advertised heavily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they came on, everyone was watching. It was like the moon landing or something. <laughs> Seriously, mm. it was. Which happened five years later, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So what were your feelings? What was your response when you first saw them on the Ed Sullivan show? There was a big to-do, a build-up of them coming on the show in the first place. Everyone in America was in front of the television, you know, and my whole family, I wondered what the big to-do was. So I sat there with my family and watched it and I thought they were pretty cool. I couldn't understand all the screaming, <laughs> the girl, the girls screaming and getting so emotional and my other major reaction was their haircuts the mop top haircuts yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I thought, what modern. is their hair? Yeah, it's funny because they all, going back and looking at the Ed Sullivan Show footage, they all look like they have bowl cuts almost. Yeah. Like very straight, like stick straight. Exactly. It wasn't even like like natural where it was like wavy or anything. No. or It was all like stick straight down and then like kind of like a weird, I don't know, like the Will Byers cut like you were referring yep, to. Yep, <laughs> and somebody started that phrase, mop tops. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the music. We had fun. We had a lot of fun watching it. And then you said your your older sister, my aunt Laura, yeah, was a big Beatles fan, and then that influenced you to to actually like the Beatles. Yeah, because so. I you know wanted to do whatever my big sister was doing. But yeah, yeah, we both really liked them a lot. And I mean, I I was kind of following along because I was so young. I was really young right. for getting into deeply into music. But right. their songs were so good and so catchy mm -hmm. i got into it and my friends also our whole group of friends they became popular very very quickly obviously yeah and um my oldest sister remembers our posters on the wall i had a poster of paul <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> and laura had a poster of ringo aunt laura's favorite was oh my ringo gosh. yeah really yeah Classic. that's hilarious yeah. <laughs> that's a special person to have ringo be yeah. your favorite <laughs> So the Beatles put out a couple of films along their oh, journey yes. of making music. You remember seeing their movies in the theater, or at least in one the, of them? In the little San Clemente Theater that has been closed, it's called the Miramar yeah. Theater down in North San Clemente. Yeah. Yep. Went down there with all the screaming girls and, and uh, tried to watch the movie of you know, above the din of these screaming women in the theater. Yikes. It was crazy. It was crazy. There was Beatlemania. That was the name. And they were the launch of British Invasion, which was essentially oh, yeah. British music or British rock and rollers, like, you know, that kind of flavor right. coming into America and right. invading it was so the much fun. mind spaces of the young yeah. man. So wait, how old were you when you saw that movie? And what movie, which movie oh, was God, it? I think, didn't that come out pretty quickly after they first came to the U.S. Yeah. in 64? It came out pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah, I think within a year or two. So I was still kind of young to get okay. into the hormonal beetle love thing. <laughs> some, of my, some of those girls were, you know crazy yeah hard day's night hard day's night was the first one that i saw yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that came out in august 1964 wow yeah that came out really quick then yes then help came out the movie help yeah and that was just equally as wild same theater saw it in the same place yeah that's the crazy thing about the beatles that a lot of people don't really think about is that they everything that they did they did in the 60s yep in basically the course of a decade they put out like three to four movies and I think like a Saturday morning animated cartoon, they did, they did like, you know, their whole entire discography, all of their work. I think the last album they put out was in 70, but they were, you know, obviously working on it before that. Yeah. Anyway, so we're talking about, I guess it's called the documentary. The reason I think it's a lot more special than documentary is for the reasons that we're going to talk about, but it's called Get Back. It came out on Disney Plus back in November. You watched the whole thing, Yes, correct? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom will have commentary as well. Gabe, once again, doesn't care about anything, so he didn't watch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm here playing the part of the, uh, the listener, the audience. Yeah. He's playing not devil's advocate, but himself advocate. I, I've never, I don't have much of a history with the Beatles at all. My, my parents didn't give me that gift, so. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I like the Beatles, though. <laughs> I love the Beatles. I should say this before we get into it. I, at a certain point, was like, oh, I should familiarize myself with the Beatles. 
So I went and I watched like a eight or 10 part documentary that I think PBS put out in the early two thousands to kind of just like familiarize myself with them and their music. And then I, and then I listened through all their albums and, and just, you know, became familiar and and then became a fan because it's really hard not to become a fan, especially because their, their, their whole discography covers such a a wide, vast array of, of sounds and styles of music that like you really, it really does seem like they had all these tiny eras, these miniature eras of progression throughout the sixties. What's your favorite album? Mom. My favorite all-time Beatle album is Rubber Soul. Really? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Rubber Soul was the first album that they put out that kind of, it was the first time they had made a new album past all the stuff that they came from England with. Yeah. Which made up about the, the first three to four albums. And all the old hits, you know, I Want to Hold Your Hand, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, that Rubber Soul that. was the first kind of... I, I mean, you call it experimental, but mm-hmm. it was the first like album for the Beatles that was more experimental and, and they were trying to progress past what they're currently known as. Right. Anyway, I'm really excited to talk about this because we're also talking about the person who compiled all of this footage that was shot back in 1969. And his name is Peter Jackson. And what is Peter Jackson known for, Gabe? King Kong. <laughs> Uh, I mean, sure, but the Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the what? The Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the flies, Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings. Do you think he's a good director? Gabe? I think he's phenomenal. Steven, you think he's, he's quite phenomenal. Very good at a director. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this is since the Hobbit, he has only done a few things. One, he did another sort of documentary taking again, archive footage from world war one and that was called They Shall Not Grow Old. And he colorized it and made this whole story out of it, which is I, like even just watching the trailer, I never actually saw it, but it looked incredible. It's something I still want to see. And that came out back in 2018. And then he got the opportunity to work on this uh, using, you know, going back into all this footage that was shot back in 1969 during sort of the Beatles' infamous rooftop concert. And being a huge Beatles fan himself, he was like, yeah, I want to play with that footage. And so he did. And uh, they did a lot with the footage that they had. They really, really did, including not just the three episodes that came out on Disney Plus, but also then made a movie that they put into IMAX. So they took this old 16 millimeter footage and then blew it up even to like IMAX size, which is pretty incredible. Was the movie just a condensation of the... Yeah, I think it was just sort of centering around the rooftop concert. Did they talk about who shot this in the 60s? Yeah. Yeah, that's part of the documentary. That's part of it. So maybe we should just sort of talk about the Beatles for a second. Who are the Beatles? <laughs> who are the Beatles? Uh, for anyone that doesn't know the significance of the Beatles which I I hope is nobody that's listening to this. They were a band that got really popular in the 60s, and they're considered to this day to be one of the, if not the greatest band or group of musicians that's ever lived of all time. And it was comprised of four individuals, two people sort of at the front, both singing and writing most of the stuff, John Lennon on the guitar and vocals, and Paul McCartney on the bass and vocals as well. The other two members were George Harrison, who is sort of the second or lead guitar, and then Ringo Starr on the drums. So John, Paul, 
George and Ringo. <laughs> Ever heard of them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and together they made up the Beatles. And this is sort of the roughly where kind of the stereotype of like the four piece band like kind of came from. Was Paul usually the one who played piano as well? I think John played piano as well, though, sometimes. They yeah. were all multi-instrumentalists. Yeah. 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 They would often switch. I mean, you saw that in the in the documentary. I'm just going to keep referring to it as a documentary because that's mm-hmm. essentially what it was. But you saw that in the documentary. They would switch instruments a lot. Ringo would hop on bass or something, and then Paul would hop on the drums, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how many hours of footage was shot? Again, it wasn't. It was ridiculous, yeah, that they had to narrow yeah. it down to just those three yeah. parts. Yeah. Shot around what was happening at this time, specifically January of 69. Yeah. So 68 had just ended, <laughs> January of 69. And I'm going to describe very briefly what was happening mm-hmm. at that time because there was a lot of stuff that was transpiring in the Beatles' career, as well as the year 1969 itself. So the Beatles hadn't really played a show uh, since 1966, so about three years, because they were burnt out and they felt they had poor sound, and they're also a bit uneasy about like personal security and stuff, so they kind of took a break to just write albums and release albums and not play any shows. Mm-hmm. So when we find the Beatles here, they have a bunch of new ideas for songs, and the whole idea is kind of that they're going to get together and flush this out and write these songs and then make a new album and play it live on TV uh, in the course of like three weeks. <laughs> like that's like the idea, which is insane. So writing the songs from scratch, playing it live on TV three weeks, like three weeks before Ringo has to go shoot a movie. That's the whole idea. So, so they, that's what we're watching essentially is this TV crew with this director. I forget his name. I'm sorry about that they start shooting the Beatles in this like warehouse where they're going to shoot and then spend their days trying to write. So the fact that they have all this time pressure and the Beatles were like true artists, which you see in the documentary led them to actually almost breaking up, which is like a huge turning point for the band because that had never really happened before. Uh, So what happens is they cancel the pressure of the live performance on TV and move the whole thing to their recording studio called Apple Studios, really famous studio near Abbey Road. And they continue there and make a bunch of progress, finally nailing down and recording a bunch of songs for a new album. And then the discussion begins again to do some sort of live performance. Mm-hmm. And so they decide to do it on the roof of the studio on January 30th of 1969. I think it was actually the 29th and it got pushed back a day because it was like raining or something. Right. I think. But this became the infamous, like I said, Beatles sort of impromptu, although they show here that it was super planned, rooftop concert, debuting a bunch of new songs. And then it gets broken up by the police really famously. <laughs> the police said that they were disturbing the peace. That was actually a really, really funny part of the documentary. But it plays out sort of like a movie, like it introduces the two young cops uh, that nobody really cares about their authority. And then they, they're like being pushed around by the people. Like these are the, some of the most famous people in the world, the Beatles and everyone doesn't respect them. So like they try to make their way up to the rooftop and then they finally do. And they, they have to call their chief in because they're too young and like nobody respects them. It's super funny. It was good. The chief has to come up and break up the concert. Um, it was just hilarious. Peter Jackson assembling all that, like, like made it play out so well. Yeah. Like he introduces them sort of as characters, even though they're real people. You know, he had a hidden camera in the reception area there. 
Yeah. So they didn't really know. I think they had 10 cameras filming Wow. at that time. Anyway, so a few other things that were happening in 1969, I'm going to list them because there's a bunch of... Cr- 1969 was like one of the craziest years ever. So Martin Luther King Jr. had just died in 68, mm-hmm. like a few months earlier before this. In the course of like a few days, Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr., their murderers were tried and convicted within a matter of days of each other. Nixon is at large. Judy Garland just died. Mickey Mantle retired. The Zodiac Killer is at large. Mm. Brian Jones dies. Um, We pulled out of Vietnam that year. Woodstock took place. Charles Manson and the Sharon Tate stuff happened that year. Fred Hampton and Mark Clark are murdered by the police in Chicago. Uh, Michael Jackson appears for the first time with the Jackson 5 on the Ed Sullivan Show, which is interesting. Yeah. And then also like that year is the year that we put a man on the moon, like six months time from when we that, that little thing. Find the Beatles here in January. But Crazy. so much stuff happened that year. Wasn't it Twickenham Studio? That yeah, yeah. Warehouse, Twickenham. yeah. Yeah, the warehouse was named Twickenham. And the Beatles like, always felt like that was a huge disaster because it, it almost broke them up, like I said. But they ended up being done as a band, you said, within a year or two anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because of John, though. John. The reason that they almost broke up after Twickenham was a totally different reason than what happened with John. Mm-hmm. So we'll just jump into Get Back and like how Peter Jackson arranged it. So the footage, it was broken up into three parts, days one through seven, which was Twickenham Studios. Mm-hmm. And then that ends basically where they broke up. So it ends on kind of like a cliffhanger. Then days eight through 16 at Apple Studios. And then days 17 through 22, where they finished at Apple. They had a bunch of songs recorded and then they played the rooftop concert. As a jumping off point, I guess for conversation, like it was interesting to see them workshopping their music. Yes. Their creative process. Yeah, their creative process. It's crazy. It really is like mostly just hours. The, the The documentary is just hours of watching them workshop stuff. And <laughs> like what are now famous songs? And you actually watch them record some of the recordings that we know as fans, you know. And making up the words right there and then while they're sitting yeah. there. Yeah. It's insane yeah but you actually get to watch them like pitch ideas for well-known songs to each other like a lot of it comes from paul and these are songs that took place kind of on their last couple albums abbey road and let it be Mm -hmm. and if you go look at the track list for each of those albums any casual music listener will recognize at least half of the songs so anyone listening to this should be like yeah no those are those are really popular very famous songs and we see the kind of conception of those here which is just so insane even when they're just joking around sometimes that riff becomes the song yeah mm-hmm. it was like being a fly on the wall it was so cool just there in the studio with them while they were dialoguing it was crazy they seemed pretty friendly with each other and that yeah yeah, yeah pretty much. totally yeah it was truly like being transported back in time yeah like it it was like that's the one thing i liked the most about it is it's like a portal in time going straight into the presence of the beatles you know and you're just watching them and why did it take so long to come out um i don't know i mean a a lot of what i heard was that in the minds of ringo and paul they had this really negative connotation with twickenham and what had happened uh, and peter jackson said that he watched the footage and then came back to them and said hey, can you watch like what I've cut? And Paul and Ringo were like, ah, they were really worried about like watching it again because they remember it being really negative in their minds. Yeah. And Peter Jackson was like, no, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. 
and they watched it and were really surprised at how not bad it actually was. Right. Like it was actually a lot more fun and upbeat than they yeah. remember it being. So it's interesting to see that too, because this is like, what, like 45, 50 years. So it's interesting to see how people almost like build negative memories yeah. based off of negative experiences up in their mind. Yeah. And then I'm sure like some certain things may not be as drastic or dire as we remember them being, you know. Everything seemed to go much smoother and happier once they left Twickenham and went over to Apple. They felt, yeah. they visibly, and you could just tell they felt so much more at home when they got yeah. over there. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. What was the nature of their disagreement at Twickenham? Wasn't it George and George? John was getting under his skin or something. Yeah, so Paul, <laughs> Paul is essentially like, he's like the clear kind of leader of of the Beatles. He was the one that was like kind of trying to steer the ship, so to speak. Right. John just kind of showed up with Yoko and was like <laughs> like I'm here, I'm late, but I'm here and I'm talented and Paul Yoko. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul and Paul was like the person who was really trying to steer the ship and and really just get the songs done cuz he didn't want to, you know, he's like a he's trying to do his due diligence and so right. and everyone else is kind of messing around. George who has often felt sidelined by John and Paul because John and Paul have had this large history of writing songs since before they were even the Beatles. They were, you know, they had a different name entirely and really, really young, like from 15, the ages of 15 and 16 writing songs together. George felt really left out of the songwriting Mm -hmm. and he tried to vocalize his opinion and Paul didn't shut him down, so to speak, but George felt like he was shutting him down. Mm-hmm. and got upset and he's like i'm done like i basically quit and he just walked off for a week <laughs> so they had three weeks to record like <laughs> write songs and record all this stuff he wa- he just left for one of those weeks yep so they lost like five or six days in there somewhere because george just quit and they were all like well are the Beatles still the band? and they were all joking about that they're often like joking a lot they were very very conscious like jokingly so of how even people perceive them like on a global level like they would often refer to themselves like almost like as a third person like talking about the Beatles right meta Paul and George and a little John as well kind of saw the Beatles as almost the separate entity Mm -hmm. they would talk about the Beatles as like its own thing Mm. like its own brand that that needs to constantly keep the fans of the Beatles both enjoying their music trying to write new things that so that the fans of the Beatles talking about it as its own separate entity would not be expecting what the Beatles would do next if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so that was interesting too is to often see them how like how joking they were how they themselves viewed themselves and they're very aware of like the propaganda and stuff yeah public opinion yeah yeah which was again you know you're seeing you're in the presence with them and it's so strange yeah uh, to be there and see all this transpire it feels like you're just watching them practice right and make these songs up for the first time and that's why i think this is such a unique thing like we you wouldn't normally get a documentary like this especially because like the one of the things i think i can think of in recent memory was the apollo 11 documentary that came out Mm -hmm. which they had all this i think 70 millimeter footage of the apollo 11 saturn 5 launch and going going to the moon and stuff and in 1969 as well and they brought it for IMAX and that was like one of the first things I was like wow this this feels like you're there today yeah and it's just it just goes to show I think like the power of film 
like actual celluloid film and it sort of being able to encapsulate time in that way. Mm -hmm. And if you can restore the footage, even in, in a digital sense, after you rescan it, it can really bring back like a lot of history which is so crazy yeah their process too is really interesting about writing songs like we were talking about earlier like paul would sort of present a new idea to the group and then they would just start kind of jamming like just like like normal normal people like normal musicians would just jam right and like just shouting and making up words and stuff which (laughs) you hear a lot on their albums like you you hear i always thought that was like something that they actually thought about and they're like okay paul you got to shout here and john you got to shout here but it's (laughs) it wasn't like that at all it was more like they're true artists who are just like almost like feeling the music and responding to it like Mm -hmm. in the moment with these like guttural like animal calls you know what i mean like they would just shout in the middle of their music yeah and start making up some silly lyrics too once in a while yeah but that would come it would become part of the music or it become part of the recording that we know you know and that's what's so crazy about their like recording and process you know (laughs) and, and the way that they wrote songs and you really saw that magic come together mm-hmm. in the way that they worked with each other and, and jammed with each other. Like everyone had their own strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But I think that also shows like the magic of the Beatles that this thing that happened with this particular band could have only happened with them because it was almost like they were all strong in each other's weaknesses. Yeah. And so having these four people in one room doing this thing together sort of elevated their sound you know so to speak and that was amazing as well to see because i would not have thought like this is how the beatles wrote music but (laughs) it is and it was a lot more natural than than i would have imagined right and then they'd go into a room and they'd listen to what they recorded and say hey let's change that or that sounds really good yeah and it's a recording process was different back then like they would have to record a tape so they couldn't take like a specific little section of the song out, they'd have to re-record the whole song from the ground up. And they also brought the keyboardist in. Yeah. Billy Preston? Yeah. (laughs) Wait, so so did you know Billy Preston before this? Well, yeah, he was known, but I just thought it was cool that they brought just somebody else in. They they weren't like, you know, (laughs) it just has to be us. Yeah. And he really contributed. He's so good on the piano and he just jumped right in. He felt the feeling of their music and went right with it. It was great. Yeah. That was another thing is like seeing him come in created this whole other dynamic where like it just showed that they were actual musicians and they weren't they weren't super snobby about being like, No, it's just us four. In fact, when Billy Preston came in, they I think it was John that started talking about how they had always like thought about having a fifth Beatle or like <laughs> have bringing someone else in the band. And mm-hmm. for a long time, their manager was often known as the fifth Beatle. Um, and then I think he died uh, before yeah, we saw did. this take yeah. place. But Billy Preston shows up. Then he just starts jamming with them on all their songs. He starts practicing while they're writing and making up the songs. And what Billy Preston does becomes part of the song and the recording so much so that when they go to play on the roof, he's there on the roof with them. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't think a lot of people know that, that like in the corner, yeah. Billy Preston's there just playing the keyboard. <laughs> and a lot of what you hear in the Beatles music, it's not like Paul sat down to play the keyboard or piano. 
Billy Preston is playing on all of those recordings. It's wild. I didn't yeah. like I had no idea that that was a thing. And you could see on his face just how stoked he was. He was so stoked to be in that studio with them and yeah. up on the roof, just sheer joy on his face. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's cool, too, because like I said, these are just at the end of the day, even though we exalt them, you know, and, and the memories of this band and the Beatles. Like they're just musicians and they're just people who just want to make good art and good music. And so mm-hmm. to bring in another like good musician and artist of Billy Preston and just be like, yeah, sit down and play with us and totally nonchalant about it too, was just really humbling to watch, you know, cause you have the Beatles who are considered the best band, you know, ever. And they're just like, yeah, anybody come and play. Like you're a friend. We, we like you <laughs> just come and sit with us. That was awesome. There were a bunch of people in that studio too, right? Not just... Oh, yeah. That was another funny thing is like, you see all these people. I mean, mom, me, me might have felt this way, but like all these people who just like don't really matter. <laughs> like they're just like, they're wanting to suck the teat of the Beatles mm-hmm. and like they want some of the money or the fame or like the <laughs> prowess of what it means to be famous or like be with the Beatles. And they're they're just like hanging out. And some some of them are like actual friends of the Beatles which is cool. But like other people are just like, they're just like there, you know, they're, they don't like, <laughs> they just like want to be part of it. You know yeah. what I mean? And that was really funny to see as yeah. well. And their family kept coming in and out. Yes. Wives and kids. And and that was another really interesting thing about this too, is like, there are all these like rumors about the Beatles, like that you hear over the course of, you know, the 50 years that they've been the best band in the world. And you hear all this stuff and you wonder like, oh, is that true? Is that true? Is that true? Like, and Peter Jackson said that like going through this footage, he had heard all these rumors as well. One of them was that John and George got in a fist fight and they addressed it in, I think the second or third episode of this documentary series. And John and George started like joking about how they knew about that rumor and they, they had never actually gotten in a fist fight. And they, they jokingly like put, put up their dukes and like, like fought each other really quick in the studio, like a joke. They were like dancing around being like, you know, <laughs> put, put up your fists, mate. Like that kind of thing. Um, but Peter Jackson was saying that like, it was cool to see these decades old rumors put to rest. He even got to uncover some of that type of stuff through watching all this footage. What did you think about Yoko, mom? <laughs> do you want do you want to know? Yeah. She was next to John's side through the entire thing. You rarely saw a shot of John without her standing right there, right next to him. And then during some downtime, she would get on the microphone. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I don't know what it was she was doing, but I wouldn't have called it singing. But <laughs> it was the most uh, wow. Was it English? I mean, was she just like... You no, do she the just, impression, Steve. You did. She would just start going like... Praying in tongues. It wasn't even that good. Oh, wow. <laughs> and just kind of stream of consciousness. That sounds scary. It was scary. It's kind of scary. <laughs> it wasn't... It wasn't like music to the ears, if you know Mm-mm. what I mean. <laughs> no. It was music to whatever they were worshiping Extremely at the time. abrasive. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it was really abrasive. Oh. Um, yeah, I, this whole thing is truly exceptional being 
you know, such a, a time capsule. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this last thing that really interested me was to hear them talk about current events. Like, so while they're recording and just jamming, they would sometimes like have these conversations in between writing songs. And for instance, John was talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. And you would hear John speak about Martin Luther King Jr. as if he was current because they were current. Like Martin Luther King Jr. had just died, but he was he was praising him kind of saying like, man, he was so intelligent. Like he's like, if you ever hear him speak, he was just like one of the most intelligent natural born leaders. And it was so cool to hear just them talk about current events. And then at one point, Paul started reading one of the newspapers I think that talked about their breakup. Yeah. And so he was like reading through the article that talked about the Beatles breakup out loud to the Beatles. <laughs> and then, you know, there's just so much, so much like tongue in cheek kind of satire stuff, even amongst themselves. So while Wire you're watching Wash. it, it gets very meta at a lot of points, you know, like very mm-hmm. insular. It's one of the craziest things I think I've ever seen, especially like for it being like a factual historical you know, movie documentary show. Yeah. Again, it's like, it's sort of like in its own category and that's why I'm giving it the different color, the teal color of like turquoise or whatever. We so there was over a hundred hours of recorded footage from like 10 cameras or something. Cause to, to be able to build a narrative out of this is pretty insane. Yes. And then again, to sit on it for 50 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. So strange that they sat on it that long. Over 60 hours, 60 hours, over 60 hours, which is still a lot. Yeah. yeah, especially to have all those cameras set up in the studio. So we're talking real film, actual sound. So they had to record sound separately and then sync them mm-hmm. in post. So imagine finding all of this footage. Every once in a while, the Beatles would stop, look over and say, are they filming this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Reels of film really only lasted for, you can only capture a matter of minutes on one reel of footage. And if you're shooting at a certain frame per second, you can capture about an hour's worth, but probably faster than that, you are looking around, I don't know, 10 to 10 minutes to a half hour for every reel. So if you think about 60 hours, you think like, I have all this footage that are roughly about a half hour uh, each for each reel, that then you have recorded sound that you have to find and hopefully it's labeled right and then sync all that together. And then for Peter Jackson with an editor to then go and like watch all of it and pick all the best parts. It was amazing to me that it was only, I think, like seven or eight hours in the end, you know? Wow. Yeah. Seems like the uh, person who orchestrated this is credited as the co-director, Michael Lindsay Hogg. And it says, I was reading this just now about him like approaching the Beatles, it says, like in the second half, in the second mm-hmm. episode to talk about the movie they were sh- they were currently being in. Yeah. <laughs> they were being shot in. Yeah. And the guy who's listed as the cinematographer for this is famous in his own right. I don't know if he was there as well, but... Like I said, there there was a director that was there. I think that might have been that person that you just mentioned was... Michael Lindsay Hogg. Who was the person directing... The guy with the cigar? No. <laughs> and Anthony Richmond was the cinematographer. Oh, okay. And he did The Man Who Fell to Earth, Don't Look Now, Candyman, the original Candyman. Wow. Legally Blonde, the famous... <laughs> he shot one. that yeah he's listed as a cinematographer that's awesome that's crazy well ultimately one for the history books yeah this is a very special uh documentary mm-hmm. very special episode with my mom on it mm-hmm. you have any final words it was just so nostalgic watching that um and remembering it just brought me back to that whole era i was a freshman in high school i think mm. when all that 
footage was happening. And so it was extremely nostalgic and just so remarkable. I mean, just amazing that they could, that the Beatles even allowed them to sit there with their cameras day in and day out of this True. whole process. Yeah. I was just really amazed. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it too. It was, uh, like I said, it's very exceptional. I don't think we're going to see anything like it for a while. Uh-uh. Well, apparently the new Kanye documentary, <laughs> the second the second episode just dropped and people are saying it's like just as crazy. Like him recording. Yeah, I, I watched the first part of the Kanye documentary oh. and I have started the second one. But it also is crazy because you're watching footage from over 20 years ago. Yeah. And so, wow. yeah, there's that similar effect there. But it's almost as iconic. Yeah, in a way. But again, you're comparing Kanye and the Beatles. And that's why I'm saying, specifically, we're talking about the greatest band versus a person who thinks they're a god. So, a little different. <laughs> what if he is god? <laughs> the Beatles kind of transformed rock and roll, you yeah. know. Like, Kanye wishes he was as influential as the Beatles. Yeah. In fact, I think he's called himself a black Beatle at one point. Oh. I'm, Billy, I'm serious. Billy, Billy Preston. You know that Kanye's documentary series is called Genius, Genius, but it's spelled J-E-E-N hyphen Y-U-H-S. He's a genius. Genius. <laughs> genius. I can't. Anyway, thanks, Kanye. Yeah. What a way to end a Beatles podcast. <laughs> and thanks, Beatles. <laughs> and here's a song that hopefully everyone will recognize called Get Back. Get Back. For Get Back.